It's not. It's a book. It's not the Bible. This is the Bible. Do you have a Bible? You do? Well, you should open it to Hebrews. Is this a refill? Shaking up here. Just thinking in Hebrews chapter nine, verse fourteen tells us that how much more shall the blood of Christ? Let's go back into thirteen. If the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. It's the old covenant, right? Sacrifice, blood, sprinkling. If it sanctified or set people apart for the cleansing of the flesh, for the sanctifying and purifying of the flesh, how much more? It's almost a pale comparison, really. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, without blemish, Again, the comparison to the lamb without spot or blemish, right? And the bride of Christ is going to be made blemishless to meet up with him, the bridegroom. And so God's uh, all about this without spot. Jesus, who knew no sin, was made to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of Christ in him. Second Corinthians 5.21 How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works? To serve the living God. The more we go in Hebrews, the more I want to back up and start over. This book is so deep in teaching on the truths of the new covenant. The grace relationship that comes with Christ. the, The very effectual work of what he did for us and in our place. That to just skim across the, the top of the surface is almost injustice to the book. But the book is not really known for a lot of preaching. It's more of a teaching book. It's a, it's a doctrinal book. It takes you deep into the, uh, the old tabernacle and the old temple, even the furnishings. And we've been working our way through that. But uh, this morning I, w- I want to talk about this ability we have to be in his presence, this open door that he's given us, um, and then also how to live from the very best viewpoint you can have. It's my hope that I could give you one thing that you could use this week. Now, which one you get is up to you. So I'll throw a bunch of them out. I'm just hoping that you'll get one thing that could really help you this week and maybe even transform your life forever. Is that too big of a thought? Can I pray that God will help me? You want me to. I know. (laughs) Father, help me. Holy Spirit, Help us together. You formed us. You brought us together this morning. We're not here by accident or mistake. It's not just by some happenstance that we arrived here today. We came to hear from you. Lord, there's a truth in here that you want to break open in our spirit, man, that will transform us from today forward. Lord, I pray that this would not just be another day of church, another day of attendance, 
Another day of being in a place for a period of time and then forgetting what we were there for. Lord, break truth upon our hearts this morning in Jesus' name. And I thank you for your help. And I'll save the amen till the end. The cleansing of our conscience was to free us to serve a living God. I, I dare think that most of us are not living with a clear conscience. We've talked about this two or three times in the last few weeks. But do you have a clean conscience? Now, this is a point of faith just like the rest of the book. Whether or not I think I have a clean conscience, whether I feel like I have a clean conscience, Jesus has provided a clean conscience for me. And I can bring my mind and my life and my acts and everything else into alignment with that conscience that He has made right for me only if I live by His Spirit. I can't do it in the flesh. I'll always find my way outside of that area. I'll find ways of you know, transgressing the laws of the, of the Word of God. And every time the law revives, it kills me. It brings me back to sin. Law is just there to remind you of sin. Did you know that? You know, when you... When you when you're driving past here, like these motorcycles are right now, if you go, if your speedometer gets to 56 in this area, this little thing comes up in your mind, right? It says, "I'm now breaking the law." Well, at least I hope it does. If not, there's a guy that parks right up at the top of the hill, and he'll help you. He helps everybody all week out here. Let me remind you, all week long. I'm getting to know him. Them. It's kind of a team effort they've got going. Some of you have met them personally. Sign, give them their autograph and everything probably. But our conscience has been provided for through the blood of Jesus to be clean and to be able to be in his presence and to serve him from a clear conscience. I, I'm, I'm wanting to move more and more toward this all the time clear conscience not sure I can preach it yet but I'm aiming at it access in the old covenant was partial access in the new covenant is fully opened Jesus opened the way we sang it this morning you are the way if you're driving along on the road and there's a sign and it says big bear that way 12 miles you turn if that's where you're going of course you turn and you expect then at 12 miles that the sign will be accurate and you'll be there but that sign is only a way shower okay it's not the way we often mistake this when we talk about Christ we think he's the way shower he just points the way no if Jesus were the sign in my illustration when I arrived there and said I'm going to Big Bear then the sign would come down off of its mounting and pick me up and convey me the next 12 miles. Are you catching this? It would become the way that I get there, not just the way shower. We have to give Jesus this place in our life where he becomes the way that we live. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. There's a, when we talk about the Holy Spirit coming 
and indwelling believers. Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, John 14, John 16, Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You'll receive power when the Holy Ghost comes on you. Why did the Holy Spirit come? He comes to live within us and to live the life of Christ out through us. Empowering us to be all that we can be through Christ. And actually begin to look like Him. Glance over your shoulder real quick. Say, there's one that looks like Him. <laughs> kind of looks like Him over there. That's part of the gathering together regularly, encouraging one another. Have you ever had anybody tell you you look a little different than you used to after you came to Christ? It's because you're changing. You're becoming like Him. So because these things are available and the way into God's presence is fully open, we still hear this, this exhortation in 1019, brothers, having this boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by this new and living way, this uh, new way, actually in the, in the original language means by this freshly killed sacrifice, by this fresh new Sacrifice that didn't exist before. You now have the way paved. I'm, I'm beginning, when I read these, I'm going to close my eyes and go, wait, I can be in the presence of God right now, wherever I am. What would I do there? How would I act there? And the truth of it is, whatever you're doing, you can do that. When you're at work. In a moment, you can say, my work is being done in the presence of God. When you're taking a shower, say, I can shower in the presence of God. That might make you nervous. But he knows you inside out, backwards, forwards, upside down, and everything, so it doesn't trouble him. But I do think there are some things you would not want to be doing in the presence of God. And that's where we find Hebrews 9, Hebrews 10, where it says, In the New Covenant, He'll write His laws upon our hearts and upon our minds. And as we operate from knowing Him and in His presence, it just becomes natural to go, Oh, that's not beneficial to do in His presence. And it becomes that restraining, restricting, powerful holiness of Christ that lives out through us. And sometimes I say these things and I think I'm talking through my hat because I'm working on this just as much as you are. We sing a song and I'm going to pull it from the song list and never sing it again. Now I won't say that. I do that. Every, I threaten every now and then. You know, sometimes get that song out of here. We sing that holiness. You know, or no, this this one. Holiness it's what I long for. Holiness is what I need. Holiness is what you want for me. You remember that one? You know that's already done. It's, it's done. It can't be any more complete. We can long for it, yes. But it's not what he wants for me. It's what he already provided for me. It's a done work. And sometimes we sing ourselves backwards in theology. Say, wait a minute. We're going to change the words to some of the songs. Holiness is what I have now. Holiness is what you gave me. You imputed the righteousness of Christ to me, and therefore I live in Christ's name. I'm living out his life that he granted for me, the one that he fashioned me for, and that's what I'm doing. And so I'm not hoping for it to come. It's here. 
you know what? I'm going to change my message right here. Is that all right? I'm actually going to preach the one I wrote. Because you're looking at me like a deer in the headlights. And I think I'm getting off somewhere I'll not be yet. But anyway, that was fun. Thanks for listening. I'll shorten the second message so you can hang in there for it. Okay? I got to get on. I got to get there, though. That's the one I mean. Viewpoint. I used the Encarta Dictionary because I was on my computer. It says this about the word viewpoint. The message said the best viewpoint. A viewpoint. First definition: point of view. A personal perspective from which somebody considers something. A personal perspective. A view. A point of view. The second definition was a viewing location. A place or position from which people can look at something. Last night we were at a graduation for Joel Comiskey's middle daughter, Nicole. And they sang America the Beautiful. They put the words on the bulletin so people didn't do. If they'd have known the words were on the back, it would have been better. Because when they hit the second verse, it was for a... And nobody knew the words. So I brought it for us this morning with its history. The view from the 14,110 foot summit of Colorado's Pikes Peak is awesome. Anybody been there? Okay. On Halcyon days, it's possible to see the Kansas border 165 miles to the east. Gazing upon amber waves of grain and the enameled plain inspired the educator and poet Catherine Lee Bates to compose the patriotic poem, America the Beautiful. To the melody Materna by Sam Ward, which came later, America the Beautiful has become the unofficial United States hymn. Unofficial. It's such a powerful song that it's actually been pushed numerous times to replace the national anthem. But it doesn't quite make it. Guess why? It just talks too directly about God. And so it's refused. That's okay. We'll keep it as the national hymn, even though unofficial. Catherine Bates was a teacher at Wellesley College on the East Coast, and she went on a little vacation all the way to Colorado Springs. She took the train. Now, she traveled through the plains and saw that, all that grain out there. And then she traveled up into the hills and the mountains and went to Pikes Peak. She stood there looking at all of that. And here's the mountains, the Rockies, and, and the plains, and the sky. And she just began to write. There's actually a big monument up there at the top for this. She had the right viewpoint. She had the perfect viewpoint, point of view, a location, a place or position from which you could look at something. And she had had that point of view on the train all the way through the America. Well, sorry, she started over here for you. This way. And when she got there, she said, Oh, beautiful. For spacious skies. For amber waves of grain. In fact, we changed those words. It's not what she wrote. But that's okay. For purple mountain majesties above the fruited plain. 
America. America. And it's written with exclamation points. America, America, God shed his grace on thee. Crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. And there are other verses which are just as powerful in speaking of faith. But she had a viewpoint. She had a perfect place to stand and look in order to write and compose the poem. It was later set to the music, written by another man. And unfortunately, that man died before it hit and got famous. So he never knew how famous his music became. But Miss Bates was still around to hear it get popular. She was only 33. The year was 1893. I want to share with you a point of view that will help you live, help me live every day. John chapter 14. I want to show you some very simple passages that you have heard. And I just want to kind of put them one, two, three, four, five. Put them together and develop a place for us to stand to see the promise of God. To get up out of, in our case, the smog. I mean, we're up here on a mountain. We just can't get above that either. Rolls in in the summer, hits the dam and flows over the lake and it's hazy all the time, isn't it? I love it on those Santa Ana wind days when you're out on the edge. It's in the wintertime and the wind blows Santa Ana style and pushes it all back out over the coast and you can see again. And you go, look, there's Catalina. <laughs> when I first moved here, a guy took me out into Oka Valley and was sitting up on this rock. He said, you know, you can see the Colorado River from here. Well, I was straining. You know, it, you can't. But I believed you could. I was looking for it. Because we had already seen Catalina and the islands, I thought. You need to get up a little bit and get a viewpoint. Here's an up for you. John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Just before this, Jesus said you ought to love one another. Simon Peter said to him in the last verse of, 30, of 13, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him by saying, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now. But you shall follow me afterward." And they said, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now here comes this promise to all of us. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? This is what we talked about a moment ago. Jesus said to him, I am the way. Not the way shower, I'm the methodology. I am the one who gets you. I am the way. The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Would you agree with me, and I hope you will, it's red letters, Jesus is speaking, this constitutes a personal promise to you and I from the creator of the universe. God is telling us a promise. 
What's the promise? I'm going to go away. Peter, you can't come with me now. You will follow me later. Not now. I'm going away. And I'm going to go and I'm going to make a place for you. And then I'm going to come back and get you. So that I can take you there. And we can be there together forever. That's a promise, isn't it? If you leave your home and you tell kids in your home, I'll be back. I'm going to get this and then I'm going to come back. Maybe you're going to get pizza. And I'm going to go get the pizza and I'll be back. What are they expecting? They're like, nose to the window. He's coming back. He's going to have the pizza. Or the ice cream or the whatever. Or maybe it says, Dad, going off to work. Mom, going off to work. I'll see you when I get home. About time for home. Little nose on the window. Looking around, smudging the glass. Saying, they're coming. I know they're coming. I'm watching for them. Huh? And aren't you thrilled when they come banging out the door? and Daddy's home. Mom's home. Jesus made a promise. And I might have to get back here to Hebrews. Skip ahead a little bit, but in verse 23 of chapter 10, it says, Let's hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. What's our point of view? The best point of view we can have is to get up above everything that's going on and say, I have a personal promise from God. He's promised this to me. He's gone off to make something ready for me, for us. He's built a place. We like to bring out the Keith Green song. You know, the introduction of one of Keith Green's songs. He's talking to his crowd and he says, you know, if God created everything we see in six days, and he's been working on heaven for 2,000 years, then living here is like living in a trash can. Then we've got something to look forward to. When we were worshiping this morning, I thought, how can I ever really know you? You are indescribable, unfathomable. You're deeper than deep. You're higher than high. You're wider than wide. The Bible says you fill everything, all in all. The universe is that big and you're bigger. You're spirit. I'm not. There's spirit in me, but I'm flesh. I said, God, I'm going to need a renewed mind to be able to even approach comprehending who you are. If it wasn't for the person of Jesus, I wouldn't have any idea what God was like. But he came to live in flesh like you and I. So we could touch him and hold him and understand him. But when we get out of this place, there's going to be such a renewal in us. There's going to be a new mind, a new body, a new, a new us. And that new us is going to be able to comprehend God in the way he comprehends us. Now, I still can't figure that out. But I'm looking forward to it. And I have this promise, and you have this promise. Jesus said, I'm going to go get a place ready for you. When it's done, I'll come get you. We often hear this at funerals, memorial services. This is a really popular promise to dwell on in that moment when you're hovering over a casket. Some of you have heard it there. And it's a strong thing to bring up in that moment because the truth is, he came for this one. Right? It wasn't the second coming of Christ. It was this person going home to be with them. Either way, there's a place made for us and we're going to live in it forever. I know some of you don't want to live on my street. That's okay. This promise made by God was affirmed by angels in Acts chapter 1. 
So God not only gave us a promise, but in Acts chapter 1, where I mentioned earlier, when Jesus was speaking to the disciples, he said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Chapter 1, verse 8. Just after that, verse 9, it says, Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Do you ever read this like you were there? I try to. I have a pretty good imagination. And I think I'm standing there and I go, he's going up. The one thing I would notice immediately is that I was not going to. I might wonder why. While they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. He's gone. While they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? I would have had an answer for that, by the way. I said, because I don't really know how this works. I mean, this is the first time we've seen this occur. Now, he may have just gone up for a second. He's coming back. We're keeping an eye out just in case. We're hoping maybe that this isn't like forever gone. Why do you stand here gazing up? Wouldn't want to get too smart with an angel, I suppose. But like, well, what would you do? Well, I mean, it's not like we got anything else to do here. Seems to be the most spectacular moment we've ever had in our lives. But that's not their question. This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. The angels are affirming the same promise that Jesus gave us, that I'm going, but I will come again. Promised by God, affirmed by angels. Now, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I can say this may be familiar territory for you. I hope it is. We have a detail given to us by one of the apostles. So what I'm laying out here, this best view that we can have about how to live this week, how to live next week, is with a view of eternity. To get high enough above the the din of life, so to speak, and the troublesomeness of the daily stuff that goes on, to get above it high enough to say, I have a promise from God that guides and guards my life. It gives me direction. It gives me hope. Jesus said He's coming again. I'm going to live in light of that today. I'm going to live with an expectancy. What if it's today? And I remember this being preached as, you know, as a young man that you know, was often used to cover over our heads about what we were doing. You better watch out. What if he comes and you're doing that? And you feel this heaping of guilt and condemnation on you. Like, what if he comes while you're doing that? It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. You just remember those messages? Man, oh man, he made you want to crawl under your chair. Like, it's not the picture I have. I, those, those scriptures are true. There was a season there. But, and we probably ought to be cautious about how we live. The Bible tells us that, right? Be careful. But with this law written on my heart and on my mind, it's not just a code that hangs on the wall that says, don't, 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 don't. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt. It's this invitation to live in the very presence of God. 
and to derive holiness from Him and derive, derive life flow from Him and to respond to the laws that are written on my mind and my heart that hold me in the right place. I'll know when I've stepped over a line because the Holy Spirit will tell me if I'm leaning on and abiding in Him. Doesn't He do that? I mean, I heard Him this week. Did you? Or were you ignoring Him again? We do that. First Thessalonians 4.13, Paul's writing says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, concerning those who have fallen asleep, but those who have died, right? Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. What were we saying in Hebrews 10.23? Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. He who promised is faithful. Don't want you to sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep or have passed away in Christ. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of an archangel with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. Oh, there's that cloud thing again. Just like you saw him go, he's coming back. Well, there's some clouds involved. That's okay. In the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore what? Comfort, encourage, strengthen. Get together often. Remind each other he's coming back. Comfort one another with these words. These, these passages are often, as I said before, used at funerals and at memorial services where we're grieving the loss of somebody. And I'm trying to give it to us non-memorial style here this morning, non-funeral moment. Because these scriptures are alive the rest of the time. They're not only used there. They're used in those moments because we need encouragement. We need to tell the family who's lost this individual out of their daily life that there is a hope. And the hope is there was a place being built for them and their trust was in Christ, then they're there. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Hallelujah. That's a good thing. Stepping out of one life right into the next. There's no end. The body might. But I'm not going to stop living. Those who believe in Jesus, He said, right? If you believe in me, you'll never die. It means we're alive forevermore now. We're just being weighed down by the world and the fallen nature until we're released from these carcasses we're holding on to. Amen? And then we go. Comfort one another with these words. We've got a promise from God. John 14. We have it affirmed by angels in Acts chapter 1. And now we have the apostle here, one of many, detailing how it will occur. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to be a shout of the archangel. This is going to be a trumpet call of God. There's going to be these things will occur. I'm not trying to debate here this morning in any way eschatology or when all that's going to happen, the rapture, etc. But I can tell you from this passage that there's coming a day when Jesus will come again and those who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet Him. That's what it says. You can't miss that. Caught up into the clouds to meet Him there. We're going to wait here on terra firma for him to get all the way here we're going up would you like to stand and have a little rapture practice <laughs> missed again 
The promise is solid. The hope is secure. The reality is verified. And we go to the Father. I like this Father in the faith, John. Do you like John? Apostle John. Look at 1 John chapter 2. He gives us this exhortation. 1 John chapter 2. And I'll start at verse 24. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us. Eternal life. And these things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. There's plenty of that available today, isn't there? These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. And you don't need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, just as as it has taught you, you will abide in him. If you know your Bible a little bit, you're, you're thinking of John chapter 15. I'm the vine and you're the branches. Learn to abide. We don't derive our own life. We draw life from the one who gives life. We're just attached to him. And we learn to abide in him and allow him to abide in us. Jesus said, if my word abides in you, right? That's where he said in John chapter 8, it'll set you free. And so the things that you've learned from the beginning, heard from the beginning, let it abide in you. And you will then abide in him. This has been kind of my um, minuscule theology about the second coming of Jesus. If I'm abiding in him and he's abiding in me, when he makes a move, I'll be involved. If I've got my hand in the hand of Christ and his hand in mine, and he decides to come again, I will know about it. But if I'm aloof from Christ and I don't live for Christ, or I back away and draw back, as we talked about last week, a little bit in Hebrews there, so that we're not of those who draw back to uh, failure and falling away. We're those who press in and follow Christ. But there is a choice to be made whether you're going to follow him or not, whether you're going to abide in him or not. But if you're abiding in him, this is what it comes to in verse 28. It says that now little children abide in him, that when he appears we may have confidence, not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it didn't know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope, there's the hope again. The hope of eternal life. Verse 25 says that. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. We work at living, abiding. We hear the exhortation from this fatherly apostle. Just abide in Jesus. Let him abide in you. When he moves, you'll know about it. 
When he comes, you'll be there. You'll have a clear conscience before him. And you won't be ashamed when he comes again. The truth is, he is coming. Now, how do we live in light of that fact on a daily basis without growing weary? That becomes kind of a challenge. And here's what happens if you don't. We've all done this. We're not having a high view. We're not standing up on the top viewpoint looking from that Pike's Peak moment out at the truth that God has given us is that I'm coming again. I'm building a place for you and I'm coming again. We're not looking with that view. Then we will slowly descend into the abyss of the current culture, which is not predominantly Christian, right? It's everything that kind of flows is sort of what we used to call the cesspool of life. It's happening all day around us. It's, it, it has the ability to drag us down with it. And if we're not keeping a higher view and looking, as it says in Hebrews 12, chapter 2, this is one of the keys of having to do it, how to do it. How do, you, how do you walk the straight and narrow? How do you walk the high life? How do you walk your life from this viewpoint? Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says we have a whole chapter of faith people in 11 to remind us how they did it. That they didn't receive the promise that was given. They not, not one of them in chapter 11 Hebrews received everything that was promised to them. But they died in faith, the Bible says, looking for it. They were expecting it. They were anticipating it. They were still moving in the direction of it. Because their faith said, God's faithful who promised. He said, this was the way it's going to be. And so I'm going to live in light of that fact. And I'm not going to ebb backwards into the cesspool of the world around me and become like it. We were talking at the graduation last night, high school graduation. What a fun place to be, huh? I mean, it's just a reminder of craziness and, and youthfulness. It was a lot of fun. And it was a Christian homeschool group. So yeah, that made it even better. But we were talking with the parents saying, you know, does it kind of look like we sort of want to imitate what the world does at a graduation? Celebration, And I said, well, what do you expect these kids to do? Can you have a Bible study? Or? Yeah. It's a celebration. Let's all pray. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're just kids. They want to party. Yeah. Right? They want to dance and move around and be thrilled. And, and the parents are like <laughs> biting their nails about what's going to happen when it gets to be midnight around here. And I said, well, take them home. Put them to bed. Don't let them out of your sight. Go with Pastor Ed there. Cruise the parking lot. Look for steamy windows. <laughs> bang, bang, bang. Hey. Food's inside. That's what, evidently, that's what you call youth pastor thinking. And I thought, what would it look like? Really, what would that festivity look like if everybody there had the high view in the same moment? Had their Pikes Peak view on, saying, This is it. We graduated. Maybe Jesus will come tonight. And they all had this higher expectation of Christ returning. They could ask the question, Does the law in our minds and hearts allow us to do whatever it is we're doing? And if he came, would we be embarrassed? I think those high school girls, especially, the girls especially, because they like dance and they all dance with each other. And, uh, they would say, no, we would be thrilled if Jesus came in the middle of our swing dance. We're not embarrassed. We're happy. We're serving Him. How do we live the life? Hebrews chapter 11, or excuse me, 12 verse 2. I started to quote that. Let me read it. 
Therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by so, so great a cloud of witnesses, the ones in chapter 11, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. By the way, sitting down in the presence of God constitutes that something is finished. You realize that the priests all stood up the whole time. They did what they did in the old temple. They never got to sit down because their work was never done. Jesus offered him sacrifice one time for everybody. And then he sat down in the highest position of authority in all of heaven. He says, I did it for you. And I'm making a place for you. And when I'm ready, I'll come get you. You get to go and live there with me forever. I want to live in light of this viewpoint. How do I do it? I look to Jesus, the author and finisher of faith. This word look in the original language, I put in the column of my Bible here, balance beam. And I often refer to it this way. If you've ever walked a curb or a, or a train track or a balance beam, anybody ever do balance beam? Ooh, you don't want to fall off of there. You don't want to fall on there either. <laughs> that hurts. Four inches wide. Ow, hardwood. Some of the stuff they do just makes me nervous. Yeah, that's that's true. That's very true. But it's not hard to do to walk it. It's hard to do all that stuff they do on top of it. But to walk it, don't look at your feet. You look at the other end. If you want to walk the train track, you look way down ahead of you. And then your your body will just line up and you'll be able to walk it. I thought about bringing a couple of 16-foot two-before's in here and make a couple of guys walk them in front of everybody and fall off a few times. Because normally we look down at our feet And when our view is so close to where we're living today, we lose our balance and we'll fall off. But if we extend our view looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of faith, who promised that he who faithfully is faithful, promised, I am coming back. Our view's out there. I live in light of that. I'll walk straight now, no problem. Are you seeing this? Does it help? I got to get my view off of what's in front of my nose. You know, it's hard to think about Jesus coming back when the gas company's knocking on your door with a little yellow tag, isn't it? Are you getting a late notice or the bank's on you or whatever's happening? You go. You're hoping Jesus will come right then, save you from your temporary grief. But that's not the point, is it? Looking for the long view that He will come and He will fulfill His promise causes me to rise to whatever occasion I'm living in and live above it. How many of you vote with clothes? No votes? We're going till two. Oh, I see that hand. I see that. I see those hands. Stop. Put them down, please. Second Peter chapter three. Let's just close here. I'm thinking of all as your attorney Second Peter just said, you don't know the hour, you don't know the day. All that's in the Father's hands. Angels don't know. The Son of God didn't know. I think He knows now. I don't think Dad's going to surprise him one day and say, Okay, Jesus, today's the day. Go. He's in the loop, I think. <laughs> but at the moment He was here, they said, When will these things, what's the sign of your coming? When, when will it be? What should we expect? I'm grateful that He said, Well, all that's not for you to know. Don't worry about it. What you need to know is you'll be filled with power when the Holy Ghost comes on. You'll be able to live until it happens. 
That's what we're doing. We're living until it happens. And every generation has asked this question. It was so apparent in the early church that Paul wrote to the second Thessalonians and said, listen, you guys need to get back to work. They quit their jobs. They were, you know, it's kind of like this other thing that happened recently worldwide with what's his name there. And everybody, you know, selling their property and sitting down and waiting it was going to happen. And now they're all looking for jobs and trying to change their names or something, I guess. But sad. There'll be plenty of that as we go, too. Jesus said, just watch. Watch and pray. Could be today. Could be a hundred years from now. Every generation has thought they were living in the return of Christ. I believe this. We do. And we should live that Pike's Peak kind of view. Peter's signing off in his second epistle here. Chapter 3. We have it as a chapter. I see him trailing off at the end of his letter. With specific purpose. Beloved. I now write to you this second epistle in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. That you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Scoffers. Oh, yeah, he said he was coming, but we haven't seen it yet. And the the ones who talked about it last, they're all dead. Think of this. The writer of Hebrews and Peter are writing their letters to people who are going to carry the truth into the next generation. The generation they're in is dying off in that first century. And now they're writing to people who did not have the benefit of knowing Christ personally or seeing or touching him or hearing his ministry firsthand. So you have apostles writing to the next generation, writers of letters saying, hey, the promise is true. It is secure. He will come again. Keep your eyes clear. Keep your minds clear. There's going to come scoffers. Where's the promise of his coming? For this they willfully forget that by the word of God, The heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved... Do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, Look for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, there's the high view again, looking forward to these things, 
Be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. I was also in all his epistles speaking in them of things of these things in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do the rest of the scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Grow steadfast. Don't think the promise isn't real. He is going to come. Could be in our generation. But if he doesn't, it's because his long suffering is reaching out that many will be saved. That's our task. Spreading the good news. Salvation is available. Heaven is obtainable. Eternal life is real. It's not just a fairy tale. We're going to live with him forever. Promise from God himself, affirmed by angels, detailed by apostles, encouraged by the fatherly apostle, and here signed off by another apostle. These things are true. It's happening. He will come. What if he comes today? Will he be pleased to take you with him? Absolutely. That means he's got your place ready. Amen. Are you thinking about your place? I've given up on that. I don't think I even know how to order the materials. And why would I want to be confined living with the Spirit like God? Well, Father, thank you for your word this morning. I pray that you'll help us to have a Pikes Peak kind of view. A viewpoint. A place to stand. A promise to look at. That will guide the decisions we make in everyday living. Father, that we will never, ever pull away from abiding in you and allowing you to abide in us by your very present Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we invite you to live out the life of Christ through us. Clothe us upon with yourself. Give us the power and the authority to walk uprightly with a clean and pure conscience, doing all things with all of our strength as unto you, as though you are coming back today. Lord, motivate us by your ability. Hold us in the palm of your hand. And Lord, if we come to meet you before you come to take up your people, then we'll rejoice in that as well. We look forward to it in hope in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Be blessed. I took you a long time on this one, I know. But some of you got a nap in, I saw. That was good.